Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for joining us here on the program. Always nice to have you folks along to be listening to our guests and the conversation that we are going to have. And this one's a doozy. I'm going to tell you right now that this one, it transcends paper, okay? There was a movie called The Kingsman. Uh, with uh, Samuel L. Jackson as the uh, main evil character. And he's sitting in his uh, convertible, I think it was a um, Mercedes, and he was sitting there leaning back with a pencil and a yellow legal pad saying, this is the only form of communication that can't be hacked. Uh, Well, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Not pencil and paper, per se. The other stuff. Technology. Uh, and all that, uh, all that comes along with it, the good, the bad, and there are times when it's just downright, <laughs> downright ugly. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, Jenny Black. We're going to talk about the media trauma care. Media trauma care is kind of the general uh, conversation that we're going to talk about. She's the founder of Media Trauma Care, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's got a book called Inner Technology, How to Be Human in a Digital Age. And uh, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us here on the program using the digital technology that we are here to, um, I I don't want to say complain about, but maybe become a little bit more aware of. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Richard. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you and... there are those, I know some people, who are interested in becoming what, what is the term is called, they want to become transhuman. Mm. It has, you know what that means, right? Oh, I don't. Tell me. Transhuman has nothing to do with gender. It has everything to do with technology. Now, I have a crown in my mouth. I have a lens implant. Those are the only two artificial parts of my body. So I am on my way to becoming transhuman. Uh, There are people who have pacemakers. They have artificial uh, knee joints, hip joints, elbows, and the list goes artificial hearts maybe. Although I haven't heard too much about that. Now it's mostly transplants. Be that as it may. And that is what, (laughs) as you smile there, uh, that is what is called a transhuman. I know some people who actually want to be fully They want their consciousness to be placed into a robot so they can live, I guess, forever. Uh, So I'm not sure I'm too keen on that. Um, But I will also tell you on the other side of the technology wheel, there are a lot of people who are concerned about privacy. And what is so funny to me is how willingly they give up their privacy to private companies and corporations through their cell phones, their tablets, their computers, their smart TVs, and the list goes on. But boy, if the government should do that, oh, no, you don't. And I'm just sitting here going, but you just gave it away for free. How many people do you think know that they're giving it away? Oh, I'll like, tell you. Do you, I, yeah. do you think that we had, it was our, I mean, I feel like for myself, it was already given away before I knew I had any choice in the matter. 19, I still don't know if I have a choice. Well, 1994, I got on the computer for the first time. I was an AOL subscriber. That was my internet service provider, right? Right. Dial up. <laughs> yeah. 
The moment I went online, I intuitively knew my privacy was gone. Now, here's the reason why it doesn't bother me. Uh, born and raised Catholic, a believer in a higher power, supreme being, etc., etc. According to the ancient wisdom teaching, teachings, uh, this higher power is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, and already knows everything about me. As we speak right now, there are close to 8 billion people on the planet. And I sit here going, what difference does it make if they know? And besides, most of the 8 billion don't care because they're too busy just living their lives. Uh, and, and so if the NSA were listening in on this uh, podcast, broadcast, and videocast, I, I say I am flattered that you find what we're talking about so interesting that you would listen. I am flattered. My God. It's, I'm excited about that, that you, because that means I have more listeners. I've got a subscriber in the NSA who is scrubbing through every word that I say to see if I am a compliant American or a terrorist or a, a bum or a, a, whatever the categories are. I don't know. And so it doesn't bother me. Now, there aren't many people like me. Matter of fact, what, Richard, what is what does bother you the most for yourself or concerns you the most for yourself in relation to the media? What concerns me more than anything else is those, and they are creative people, who develop the viruses and hacking ability to disrupt my day-to-day uh, functionality on my technology. That's what irritates me more than it. It's like, you are so creative. You created this virus, this worm, this malware, this, uh, this backdoor to disrupt what I am trying to accomplish in my life. Why can't you create something of a positive, productive nature that would help the rest of us instead of undermine our ability just to you know, I mean, it would be like somebody out, uh, we have a main street called State Street. Now, I don't know where you're located, but I'm sure you have a main street there. And if you were walking down the sidewalk, it's the equivalent of somebody coming up to you, facing you, putting their hands on your shoulders and saying, no, you're not going any further. No, <laughs> I'm serious. That's how, what, how often does that happen to you? It has never happened to me, but that's the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying how often does your... Uh, do you get hacked or interrupted in a day? I consider pop-up ads in the category okay. of interference. Uh, I, I consider, um, I consider uh, uh, um, when I have made a purchase online for something, and the next ad I see is for what I just bought. Okay, that kind of thing. Emails right, right, that I have, right. I never subscribed to, but somehow, some way, through some first or second party uh, website that I went to, somehow when I clicked agree to the terms, not only did I agree to give them my left kidney, my firstborn, and on my passing, uh, my eyes donated to science, uh, I gave them permission to send me all kinds of ads. Those are the things that, that I find disruptive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the word disruptive. Yeah. And I feel like when it's something, you know, one of the one of the times I got the most angry this year was whenever I'm trying to work with um, any automated system and 
I, there's no answer for me. There's nobody to help me. There's no solution. It's just frustration after frustration after frustration, because there's no human on the other end to help me resolve it. Like in the, and the metaphor that you gave of being on main street and someone coming up and saying, stop, you can't go. Mm-hmm. You have a human you get to interact with, right. but when you're in digital spaces, you don't, you don't have any power. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. Well, Media Trauma Care is your website. Media Trauma Care, uh, actually, yeah, uh, media trauma dot com. Media trauma dot com. And of course, uh, get out of your screen and come back to life. Now, I have heard a lot of, uh, we're not going to go into the, the, the dangers of some of the technologies. We're going to go into the interference in our lives that we actually consciously allow, like what we just talked about, where we're on our screens and this pops up and that pops up, these different news feeds and this and that and the other thing, sometimes we didn't even subscribe to. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've made it a point if I don't have, if I don't recognize who sent that, or for example, if I was to, let's say, get an email from the IRS, it's deleted immediately. Uh, I don't mess around. I've got a number. I've got a letter from them. I've got a phone number. I can call them directly and say, uh, what's going on? Is there anything going on? Oh, no, we didn't send you an email. We would not do that. Um, who is it? The finance of uh, the Franchise Tax Board, which is our California IRS. They don't do that either. Social Security, they don't do that either unless you have solicited it through your a personal account online. Uh, I don't click on those links if it says from the Social Security or if it, from some of these government agencies or some of the companies that I do business with. I have bookmarks that I will then click on. But unfortunately, a lot of people, is it ignorance or stupidity? Do they know better and they just do it anyway? And then, they, of course, they contaminate the company that they're working for, the corporation that they're working for? Or is that irrelevant because of the hacking that's going on out there around the world, allegedly, allegedly, from Russia? Um, I would say it, it. you said ignorance or what? what was stupidity. The other ignorance or stupidity. Stu- or ignorance. <laughs> Um, I would say that it is more powerless. It's a powerless feeling. Like, how else do I get to do what I need to do when this is all the ways that that life has made it either easy or accessible to me? And if I don't have access, I won't have access to that if I don't do these things, if I don't go through these things. Well, we're talking here on the program today with a woman who is going to hopefully give us some uh, a good insight. Jenny Black is her name, and we're talking about, of course, uh, this whole aspect of our technology. Uh, you can get one of your uh, get off of your screen and come back to life. The website, of course, is uh, mediatrauma.com. Is it is is there has there been a category of PTSD labeled to this yet? There has there has not been. And do you think that there should be or will be? That's a great question. I hope that there is. Uh, quite honestly, I, I think that most therapy that's, that will be done in the next five to 10 years will only be related to this. Mm. I think that the real world traumas are kind of few and far between in comparison to the, the extent of exposure people are having to traumatic content or even just the idea of having more demands from their digital world than they have the capacity to keep up with. 
So that's not like a trauma, this big T trauma. It's mm-hmm. that kind of exhausting, overwhelming, um, constant distraction. And just that feeling of, I can't ever get my head above water that has some long-term effects, right? Mm-hmm. Now I saw a piece just the other day, um, a documentary on Netflix. It was called Code Bias. This is sort of another subject that we can talk about a little bit. Code Bias having to do with facial recognition algorithms. And if you remember the movie Minority Report with Tom Hanks, yeah, they were able to snatch up criminals before they ever committed the crime. Well, apparently what they have found out in this documentary is that these algorithms, they are racially biased. And what they do is they run the facial recognition And most of the time, when it's people of color, 99% of the time, these people come up with some kind of nefarious record of some sort. They can't be trusted. There's, in other words, they've got black marks against them already, demerits against them already, and they probably have a clean record. But the algorithms are set up to support, and they even acknowledge this in in the documentary, white males and demerit everybody else. And the government was supposed to buy into this. China apparently already has. It's all over the place there where they're using facial recognition. There were some companies here in the States uh, that are creating this, Amazon, I think, and uh, Microsoft and so forth. And it's just real interesting how uh, what is being marketed to us based upon those kinds of things. I mean, biometrics, that's different in terms of using like your thumbprint on your phone to open it. Okay. And that's what I, and that's what I have. So someone's going to have to take my thumb <laughs> in order to get into my phone. Um, but facial recognition, that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the small reasons why I do not have an Apple. Uh, I don't want that number one, plus the fact that Apple screens, the way I see it, uh, I grew up in the Warner Brothers cartoon era, 1960s, early 70s. Windows, to me, and of course my Android, has the vibrant colors of cartoons. Okay? So that's why I like those items. Whereas the Apple products, the colors are all washed out. Uh, At least to me. That's to me. Tell me about why this matters to you. What happened? Uh, You must have... You must have been attacked in some way, shape, or form <laughs> by, by your digital technology. And, and I'm not saying somebody was trolling you on, on uh, no. Facebook or what have you, but maybe your, your, uh, your smartphone, your smart refrigerator, or your smart toaster, uh, basically, <laughs> um, they, they had a vendetta out for you because you wouldn't do what they wanted you to. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I think it was six years ago now, um, I was facing all of the, um, when you're a therapist or in any profession that works with a lot of trauma, you experience vicarious trauma. Mm-hmm. So you hold a lot of trauma. It's not uncommon to then also suffer consequences, you know, you know, suffer the symptoms of PTSD. And I was starting to have that just a high levels of burnout, overwhelm, not sleeping well, you know, all, all of the stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and took a sabbatical. So, um, I, every day I had my, um, my kids would go to school. My husband would go to work. I would stay home. I'd power off my phone for the day until they got home from school and just, you know, be alone. And, um, 
it, I had all these things I thought I was going to work on and all this rest I thought I was going to get, but the, my days were full of anticipating what am I missing on my phone and what is going, what am I going to have to face? So I was just managing that all day long. Then I would check my phone and deal with what all the stuff that came in. And I, that my sabbatical ended up lasting a year, but I was five months into the sabbatical when I was like, you know what? I guess this is just as good as it's going to get. I, I thought I was going to be better. I thought I was going to be more rested. I thought I was going to be happier or whatever. And um, woke up one morning and my phone was broken. It wouldn't turn on. It wouldn't power on. And I was like, hey, this is awesome. <laughs> and it, that I was like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to give myself one day without getting my phone fixed and just see what this day is like. And it was a magical, magical day. And the next day I was like, well, everybody survived yesterday and it was okay. So for 30 days, I, um, I didn't get my phone fixed. And I went on three trips during that time. I, every trip I went on, I was like, this is the best trip of my life. Oh my gosh. My sabbatical's paying off. I love everything. I love people. Like I wasn't taking pictures. I wasn't posting things to social media. I was just there. I was just present. And, um, after 30 days, I was like, okay, Jenny, you've had your fun. It's time to get back to real life. And at that point in time, real life meant getting my phone fixed and getting back into that space. So I got my phone fixed and almost immediately was put back into the same exact place I was before I even went on my sabbatical, which I describe as kind of um, the just low level depression and kind of that hum of anxiety behind everything that I did. And like, oh, I'm never going to get it all done and everything's so hard and blah, 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 um, even though I had a really great life. So got my phone fixed. And just thought, okay, it's time for you to be done being on vacation. It's time to um, get back to reality. Ironically, reality on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that lasted for about two months. And then one day I had left my phone in my car, forgot about it, woke up the next morning and went to get it. And I had left my car unlocked and my phone had been stolen. Excellent. And I, I actually saw the, the clouds part and the sun started shining and birds started singing. And I was like, I'm free again. I'm free again. And I had never, I had not ever had one conversation with anyone about this before. Um, this was before anyone was even acknowledging that our phones were anything like it wasn't, it wasn't even something that I thought to be a part of my sabbatical care plan. And that second time that when my phone was stolen, I thought, oh my gosh, something is going on with me in this phone that is way bigger. This isn't just a phone. Something else has happened. And I haven't had an iPhone since then. I have a flip phone now. And um, I was like, I, I'm going to see how I can make it in life without this um, because it was controlling my entire life and just not having it for one day was more than going on antidepressants had helped me was more than five months of my sabbatical had helped me. And I just, and my kids were very, they were in high school at the time. And I was very concerned if this was affecting me this way. And I had a fully developed brain um, and a very healthy support system. 
what was happening to my kids. So when I started realizing the power that it had, I just became really obsessed with seeing how is this showing up in our lives and how is it affecting us and what can we do about it? Do we have any um, power or autonomy or choice in the matter of um, letting this run our lives? Yeah. You see this scene behind me? Those who are watching on YouTube can see this. Those who are listening to the podcast or broadcast, you haven't got a clue. This is a picture that I took in 2004, sitting on a giant granite slab, four feet, three to four feet hanging over the edge uh, of this cliff. I'm going to swing out of the way so you can see this. All right? This is looking down. All right. I want to drop my phone in there. Okay. <laughs> However, I'm an environmentalist by heart, by nature, and I would not pollute the oceans in that fashion. Where's my hammer? I got to find my hammer. That's how you fix things of technological uh, persuasion. You use a hammer. Um, I find it interesting, too. I had a call from a woman that I was going to interview on the work that she was doing, and then she got off on some tangent about how she was being harassed on uh, Facebook by uh, some actor in Hollywood. I, and, I, and it's like, uh, no, that's not what the show's about. You know, well, but yeah, but you need to help me, blah, 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 blah. The last thing I said to her was, I, was if you're having this much trouble, close your account. Close your account. Uh, I don't know what other advice to give uh, to people when they're being harassed online. Now, this is a whole different, so to speak, subject uh, in regards to, uh, uh, in regards to uh, this whole issue of technology taking over our lives. But I, I've been on Facebook twice. I'm not on it right now. Uh, I may re-resurrect uh, for the radio program only, but I, re I received uh, news that I, I was really distraught by. One of my mentors, uh, broadcast mentors who lived in Phoenix, uh, the news story came out that he and his wife had decided to, uh, to do a suicide pact because she was terminal and he couldn't live without her. And, and I could not believe, the, and I said, I'm, I'm out. Uh, and then the second time, it was just too much work. I, don't, I just don't have the, I don't you have the saw time. That. You I, saw that on Facebook? That's how you found out about it? Yeah. They that, that on Facebook? Yeah, they, they posted that news story on wow. Facebook because he was a prominent uh, Phoenix broadcaster. Wow. You know, and I grew up as a kid listening to this guy, you know. Uh, as a matter of fact, I even got to work with him for a few months uh, when I was working for uh, the station that he worked for at that time. So anyway, uh, so it was like, okay. The second time, what was the second story? Uh, the second story was, I just wanted out. I, I, I was like, I don't have the time to keep posting this stuff. You know, it's like, this is, this is driving me crazy, you know? Um, it, it, I, I'm already uploading the programs, the podcast, to SoundCloud. And thank goodness I've set it up to where the RSS feed is at other websites, other podcast websites like Spotify. And I've talked about this uh, regularly on this program. That's where we're available for the podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, um, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, uh, and the list goes on. And, of course, YouTube where people can see the videos. That's pretty much um, all I've got time for. But to have to mess around with Facebook. Now, I also know there is a way on SoundCloud, if I have a Facebook account, to post directly right. to Facebook. And I, I may do that. Like I said, I've been told that now there's a new category of uh, sign-ins, uh, a category of uh, Facebook accounts. 
Uh, and uh, so I may, I may look into that. But I think that's one of the things I find so interesting. I'm doing this interview with you right now, okay? And right now we're about 24 minutes in. And I've already, I'm actually looking at my email. Not I'm not checking it. I'm just looking at the ones I haven't read. 15. Since we started, 15. Right. And right. that's in my personal account. I don't know what's in the company account. So when I'm done with this interview, I'm going to have to weed through 30 or more in uh, uh, emails. And it's like, you know, I suppose it's easier than getting the junk mail in your mailbox at home, you know, because at least you don't have to throw it in the trash. It's just a click, delete, 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 delete. And that's, you know, it's seconds. People say, Richard, I don't know what your problem is. It takes seconds, milliseconds. But still, it's, it's time away from the things that you love to do. Now, how do you, Jenny, how do you make sure that you set aside the kind of time to, what would be the word, decompress from the technology uh, to get back in, how can I, uh, to get back in your right mind. <laughs> oh, that's good. I love that right mind. That's a great phrase. Well, one of the things we start with is what do you love? Do you even know what you love? So what, what kind of things do you love to do? What do you want to do with your life and your time? Yeah. Well, I love doing these interviews. I mean, if I was mm -hmm. doing this all the time, I'd be a happy clam. Matter of fact, I was dealing with some issues uh, prior to this interview for the last couple of hours uh, and uh, on the phone or emails or whatever. And I'm going, when is this interview? Oh, 12, 15 local time. Okay, I'll just hang on. It's coming, it's coming. And then I don't have to deal with technology. I can just deal with a human being on the other end of Zoom. All right, there's technology, but we're not playing with it. Right. Uh, in spite of the fact that I did change my background image just to make a point. Um, I love, I, I, in Santa Barbara, I don't know if you've ever been here, but we have. I have, I have. All right. Well, then you know about the San Inez mountain range that runs east to west. Yes. We live up at the top of old San Marcos Pass or the 154. We live at the summit. I got to tell you, that is the greatest drive up. Okay. Not down, up. Because we're getting up out of the city and out of that energy. Talk to me about your research, your um, study, if you will, your experiences with this digital technology and the energies that come off of the pieces of equipment that we're dealing with, not just the screens, because sometimes we will have the, uh, the box in the same room that we're in that has the hard drive and the motherboard and all of the peripherals and so forth. And then th these energy waves... They're just bombarding us all the time. Have you done uh, some research in that regard? You know what? That, that is really not a part of the work that I do. I have learned some things about it, and I do find it to be concerning. I just don't feel like I have any, um, I don't know, any idea what I could do about that. Okay. <laughs> but I, I do. I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. What I do feel um, good about sharing is just having understanding mental health. Mm -hmm. And understanding, obviously, how essential it is to the future of society and humanity mm -hmm. and that it, it's being compromised by the expectations and demands and ways that it has um, we're expected to use technology. But I wanted to go back to that part about 
um, what you love Yeah. because I, I feel like it's really important for people to connect to what they love about life Yeah. before they, um, make themselves just get off their phone. Like it's so easy. As you know, we could both wake up and get on our computers and the work would never end. The yeah. emails are, it's, it's infinite. All of it's infinite. The information we could research is infinite. The people that we could contact is infinite. The uh, videos we could watch are infinite. And so if that's where we start and end our day, um, it, it can crowd out your reality. And even though there are all these really amazing and beautiful things that we get to see and participate in online, our bodies, um, like you and I right now, we're getting to have this interview here on Zoom, which is really awesome. And I love it. And I'm thankful that we have that technology. Mm -hmm. But you and I are not getting to, our bodies are not getting to experience each other. We're not getting that that attunement and that what how human bodies need another body to to kind of align themselves mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And so the more and more experiences that we have, even if they're positive experiences that are lacking that human connection, the more our, um, our brains will feel connected, right? My eyes are connected to you. My ears are connected to you, mm-hmm. but I'm not cellularly having, having an experience of you. So there's this, there's this separation of, wow, I had this great conversation. I'm really connected with this person. But I have not had that um, that human contact, which is no big deal for me because I have that human contact in my life, right? You're right. Okay. Um, but if I didn't, which has happened to a lot of people during COVID, mm-hmm. your your mind will start to suffer because it it's getting some needs met, but there it's not a complete experience of it. And so my my advocacy for this whole process is about keeping whatever amount of human of human humanness we can have in this story. Like it's wonderful, all the ways that technology can help us connect, but we have to hold on to those things that our, our human body needs in order to survive. Yeah. Well, we're talking with uh, Jenny Black, and she's the author of Inner Technology. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Uh, it has to do with, Inner Technology has to do with, and I just hit the wrong button there, of course, uh, <laughs> how to be human in a digital world. And we really are in that digital world. Um, it is sometimes a challenge to separate. I don't want to say escape because we have to use the, the tools that are at our at hand to accomplish the things that we're doing. I have to use the, the uh, computer for example, to uh, edit and produce the uh, YouTube videos that people are watching, including this one, the podcast, the audio file that people are listening to, and the broadcast that people hear on this station, uh, which, by the way, is at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., that's Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and our special edition on Wednesdays at 9 a.m., just to throw that in there. Uh, And, of course, we will be linked to your website as well, Jenny, and I, I think that uh, for a lot of folks, oh my goodness, uh, it, 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 there's no question that this life uh, has, has become quite a challenge uh, for, for us. Uh, we're, we're still trying to, you know, there are some people that are still coping with some of the issues that, uh, that, that have been going on in their lives. This is the other aspect of it too. It's not enough that you have uh, th- this, this coping issue uh, as far as trying to deal with uh, this, uh, the media trauma, as you describe it, 
But then you have uh, the traumas that we uh, acquired as we just lived our lives uh, from entering this world. Uh, so now it's, it's, it's like a double whammy. Whereas I suppose in one sense, like my parents, my, my father, 90 years old this year, and my mother, 87, married 65 years. They have seen a lot of changes. Yeah. But they didn't have the technologies to the level that we do today. I, I know that uh, they probably didn't have a television until the 50s. So <laughs> they didn't have to worry about missing their program, you know, kind of thing. Um, I find it very humorous. I don't know about you, but I find it kind of humorous when I hear people watching programs on demand. And they won't stop. They won't pause it as if it's going to go away. It's on demand when you want to watch it. Pause it. Go do whatever it is that you want to do. Come back and start it again. It's like there's something about missing the continuity, the flow of the program, I guess, that they think they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to miss, you know? Right. I mean, don't we do that with books? You're not going to sit there necessarily and read it cover to cover, unless it's really good, like yours. <laughs> well, my, mine's also, you can read cover to cover in about 20 minutes. There so you go. <laughs> you made that easy. So uh, InterTechnology is a partnership that I did with a nonprofit counseling agency here in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, bringing awareness about mental health and technology to this community. And it's very, it's a very short, sweet, easy read. Every page has just one more way that you can be human. Mm -hmm. And then it has some quotes from the therapists that work at um, the Refuge Center about things like from drinking water to exercising to what is anxiety to how to handle um, your feelings and thoughts when they come in to your head. So it's really, it was made to be easily read and one minute um, settings because that's the world we live in. Yeah. Um, but also really young. Like it was, it, you could be a sixth grader and get something out of it. Um, all depending on kind of what your, what your level of dependency is on. Yeah. Uh, my biggest challenge, and I don't know if you face this or not. I love audible books. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I bought a copy years ago, hardcover, not hardcover, but hard copy. Uh, of the book Stranger in a Strange Land. I don't know if you've read that or not. No, I haven't. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful book. Now, I started it, I started reading the hard copy, but I had a lot of difficulty getting through it. it was, it's about this thick, the, even the paperback. Oh. And so I finally found it on Audible, and I listened to it. I listened to sections of it over and over and over again. Uh, no spoiler alerts here because uh, I wasn't a fan of how it ended, but I loved the story overall. It's a great, great story. Uh, there's a word that they use in there in terms of assimilating information or things uh, that come in through your senses. They call it uh, grokking or to grok, and that's to assimilate into every subatomic particle of your being. Okay, it's grok? Grok, G to grok. G G how do you spell it? G R. I think it's G-R-O-K or maybe C-K. G, okay, grok. So to grok means to take in information at the cellular level, that all of your being absorbs the information. Even, uh, even to the subatomic level. I subatomic. mean, all the way down there. And um, 
and it's not all information. It's that which resonates with you, that which serves you, that which supports you as a as a an an holistic individual uh, that that feeds your soul. I'm curious as to your soul, your what we like. You, you talk about inner technology. We talk, of course, about the decade of perfect vision going within and spending time within listening to the still small voice. What's your inner life like in that regard? Oh, it's it's a really good place to be for sure. Um, it's where everything comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I will sometimes wake up in the night and be kind of feeling restless and I'll ask myself like, okay, what is one thing that I know is true and just stay as long as I can with myself until I can get one thing true from inside of me. And the last time I did this, the one true thing was I want to go for a bike ride tomorrow. Mm. So the next day I knew whatever else I had to do, I had to go on a bike ride. <laughs> so I am, I'm very, very much guided by what's inside. And I think that, I think probably I naturally am that way anyway, but I lost connection with that in my years of, and I definitely would have been categorized as a, a phone addict. Like I was a phone addict before that was even a thing. I was one of the first people I've ever knew that was on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and I was for sure addicted. I got more pleasure from those, from that area of my life than I was in my real life. And not having that in my world anymore, Mm -hmm. I get to reconnect with myself. And in reconnecting with myself, I get to connect with people like you. So the hilarious thing is that my life has become more expansive. I have more relationships, more opportunities. Everybody's so scared if they, you know, get off social media, how will anybody know who they are or what they do? And yet connecting with yourself is is very, it resonates with people and Mm -hmm. you start to meet people and have opportunities and you have things to share that when I was, when I was doing social media, the things I had to share were two sentences at a time. And now, you know, I had that tiny book, but I'm writing a big book with a man named Bob Hutchins that right now is called our digital soul. And it's kind of the hope is to introduce the concept of media trauma Mm. to the culture and, and the, and, and define mental health for us. Like, what was your phrase? You said, what's the phrase for the show? The like catchphrase? Oh, uh, we have, tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. Yes. Yes. So that's our digital souls basically saying we have to have some new paradigms, understanding that our digital world has now become such a significant part of our world that we are going to have to uh, adapt and and learn the things that we have not been prepared to learn and bound, set boundaries that we've been given no resources to set. Yeah, it's interesting how there are so many aspects of our lives that we've had no training for. It's really kind of funny. I've heard this said, especially about relationships and marriages. You have to uh, go to the DMV uh, in order to take a test, not only a written, but a practical test in order right, to drive right. a car. Right. But to drive a relationship, nah, you'll figure it out. And boy, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of crashes and burns. I hate, I'm divorced once, never to be divorced again, okay? It's not going to happen. Uh, I refuse to go through that again or put myself or anybody else through that. So I do everything I can to make it work, uh, you know? And it isn't about, okay, well, I'll compromise, compromise. No, 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 no. It's about conversation, 
It's about cooperation. It is a team effort in a relationship. It's not like a lot of the TVs and movies show you, especially the comedies, where each one of the members of the, the couples is trying to get one up on the other, to try to be right, to try to be the winner. And it's like, I don't recall my parents ever doing that, you know? Right. But unfortunately, in our society today, that's kind of where we're at. One of the uh, chapters in your book, which I, I find interesting, some of the, uh, the, the titles of your chapters, and folks, this is uh, a fairly short little book. I mean, it's 77 freaking pages. All right, get with the program. You can do this. You can read this in, like you say, 20 minutes. Might take me 30 or 35, but that's just because I'm a slow reader. What were your best two days? My best two days. That No one has ever asked me that before, Richard. I forgot it was even in there. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the book, but I don't know what's in it. That's okay. It was a long time ago. Um, so when I was 10 years old, my family had just gotten cable and my brother and I started living every day, you know, to get home from school and turn on the television and sit there and watch cartoons until it was time to eat dinner and then keep watching whatever was coming on until it was over. And it was just the most exciting, wonderful thing ever. And my dad, who probably also has a very addictive um, aspect of his personality, like his daughter, um, was like, we, I, I can't do this. I think he might've even been staying up all night watching it. I don't know. And he, <laughs> we have to get rid of this. I can't do this. So, um, but we didn't know we were at school. My brother's two years younger than I, and we couldn't wait to get back. I'll never forget that we had watched the first episode of a Laverne and Shirley that was two parts. So it ended on a cliffhanger and we couldn't wait to get back and see part two of Laverne and Shirley. Mm -hmm. And we got in the door and there was no TV there. <sighs> in my memory, the TV was actually by the trash on the side of the road by the <sighs> trash can. And I mean, we were devastated. We were just like, the world is ending. It's over. <laughs> and I mean, what's what's there to live for? And um, it I don't know how long it took me. In kid time, it felt like it took a really long time. But I literally remembered about making mud pies in the backyard. I made mud pies that day. I found my skates in my closet. I went skating. And I told my parents, this is the best day of my life. And like, I was remembering how to be a kid again. And remember I was 10. Mm -hmm, right, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have lost, I shouldn't have lost my childhood that early. <laughs> and when we didn't have a TV and I left, you know, until I think they got a TV at some point after I graduated from high school, but we didn't have a TV all of my growing up years. So obviously I'm a bit predisposed to dramatic counterculture moves <laughs> to regain my sanity. <laughs> Um, thanks to my dad. And, um, and the second day was the one I was telling you about. That's exactly how I felt when my phone was broken. And then again, when it was stolen, I felt like my life was being handed back to me, a life that I forgot I even had a right to. And I want everybody to know that they have a right to enjoy life. And as long as technology is helping you to enjoy life, then it's a good thing. Yeah. Right. As long as it's helping you do what you love and bring your talents to the world. That's awesome. Yeah. But if it is keeping you from health and wholeness and mental health and just enjoyment of, of the small things and the big things in your life, then changes have to happen. It's not worth that. Yeah. You see what's behind me? Yes. All right. Uh, folks, for those who are not watching the YouTube video, behind me is a photograph 
of the interior of what I will always refer to as the Bob Ballpark in Phoenix, home of the Arizona D-backs, who became a World Series champion team in 2001, beating the infamous, or famous, New York Yankees in seven. I was beyond ecstatic because when the team came to town in 98, I'm going, eh, Great. Okay, it'll be years before we even get close to the playoffs. They're a brand new team. You know, then they get to the playoffs. And, yeah, okay, great. But it'll be years before they ever even get close to the big dance. And the next thing you know, four years in, and they are at the big dance. Uh, and it was thrilling for me because now I could say, I don't care where I move to. I can say, yeah, I'm from a World Series home uh, town. <laughs> it was exciting. Do you remember in the movie, City Slickers, the first uh, first movie? You ever see that movie? Yes. Billy Crystal? Remember the three of the guys are riding along and and uh, Mitch, he says, you know, what was your best day? You know, and he starts to describe his best day. And then the next guy describes his best day. And this was in 93 when I saw this film. Yeah. So uh, I've got these buddies that I created this men's group with. And we liked to go hiking because sitting around the house just reading from the book Iron John by Robert Bly, just, it just wasn't enough. It was good, but it wasn't enough. And so we decided to go hiking. And then one day they said, hey, let's go up to Woods Canyon Lake uh, uh, in northern Arizona around Flagstaff. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a boat, but I need to have, have some help refurbishing it. It's fiberglass and so on. So I helped the elder. He was a professor, an actual professor. And I helped him to refurbish it. He actually brought it over to uh, my two-car driveway, and we put it up, and we did all the stuff needed. And then we put it on his truck, and we went to the store and got all the stuff for the camping trip that we were taking that weekend, which was Labor Day weekend, that particular year of 93. And I thought about that scene and what it meant by the best day. Now, that first day that I still call my best day what well, didn't start out that way. Because the guy I was with, the professor, was trying to tell me, a young man of uh, 33 years of age, how to wash dishes. I come from a family of eight. Do you honestly believe that my parents let us get away with not doing dishes? I knew how to do dishes. Uh, got a little irritated. So that's, that's the ultimate insult for you. Oh, my God. It's like, <laughs> seriously? You telling me I don't know how to wash dishes? I'll and by, did he tell you or was he showing you how to wash it? It was a combination of telling and showing. And, and why, were, why were dishes involved in this story at all? Because we had just had our meal and we were cleaning up the campsite, which was very disorganized up to that point. I mean, we just pulled stuff off of the truck. I've tried to organize it, but he just didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I finally was trying to start a fire. By the way, we tried starting a fire I still can't believe I did this. That could have been my last year with gasoline. <laughs> it could have been your last day. We, yeah, it could have been because we tried starting the fire with gasoline. And he says, here's the match. Light it and run past it. Now these No, were no, 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 no. Don't ever do that. No, don't ever do never. that. Can you make a public service announcement? Every, don't, don't ever do that. No, no, don't ever do it. But this was a big concrete ring. So it was contained, but... I ran past it, dropping the match, and it just whoosh, obviously. Anyway, um, I'm trying to, to cut up some more wood to put on the fire, and he's just going on and on and on, complaining. And finally, I took the axe. He thought I was going to hit him with it. 
I came down on a piece of I came, <laughs> because of the dishes, the dishes uh, comment that was totally it. unacceptable. That's correct. I came down on the piece of wood that was laid uh, uh, to me perpendicular. Came down on it, and the two pieces that were cut in half flipped in opposite directions. I let go of the axe. It was stuck in the ground, and I walked up the hill, away from him. He finally followed me up the hill and said, "You triggered my PTSD." He was a Vietnam vet. I said, "I don't care." I said, "You, you are not my father. You are not my professor. I know how to wash dishes. Now knock it off." Now the reason why that was the start of my best days of two days actually, was because I actually stood up for myself probably for the first time. The next day, he had to go back down to uh, the Mayo Clinic for some tests. He had already scheduled those. And so we weren't that far away. So he went down to Mayo. I'm there by myself. There is no vehicle. So I'm kind of stuck. So what did I first do? I made myself some breakfast. Then I washed the dishes my way. Of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. Then the boat that we had, I helped to fix up was already down by the lake. I said, I'm putting that little boat in the water and I'm rowing the lake. And I did, up and down, and I had a fabulous time. Came back to the campsite and I created a fire to cook one hot dog. No <laughs> gasoline, no gasoline. Okay, one hot dog, had a nice lunch, and then the other, other guy came up and we reorganized the campsite. He put a giant pot of beans on plus a giant pot with a bone-in ham. And then we cut that up to put it in the beans. And then he brought out Jack Daniels and we had beers. I'd never had Jack Daniels before. And it wasn't, we didn't get blotto. It was the most relaxing time. And it was at that point, especially when I rode uh, on the lake, but even after that, I would say that was my best day. And each day after that for about a month, I was able to say that. Each day somehow got better as yeah. I went through my life and work and so forth. Um, do you think that this is one of the things that people are really missing because they submerge themselves or they get engulfed with this digital technology uh, that they think they can't do without? Yeah, I, um, you know how people pay their kids to do chores? Mm-hmm. I have always paid my kids to get off their phone. So I'll pay them certain amounts of money per day or per week if they will give up their phone for that period of time. Mm -hmm. And now it's usually more social media than it is specifically their phone. And the reason I do that, I think it's the best money I've ever spent is because they, when they don't have access to that, they have access to everything else. They do things like clean their rooms, find old music, pull out uh, art supplies, um, go for walks. They start hearing um, like their dreams again. They start dreaming and realizing all the things in life that they want to do. They start feeling feelings. Like every single time we do it, there's some sort of meltdown because they haven't had enough room to feel sadness or grief or hurt. Um, it It is, it's like watching a person come back to life. You're a good and mom. It, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it, it's, that's what we're missing when we're lost in that world. Yeah. And again, there, there are lots of beautiful and wonderful things about that world. But if, if we've lost the world that our bodies are in, 
we will be mentally sick. We will have mental health issues because our mind and our body have to be in the same place as much as humanly possible to be okay. Wow. That I have to say, that is profound. That is truly profound. And your kids are very lucky in that regard, very fortunate. And uh, they're very wise uh, when they choose to do that. You know, whether there's money involved in, or, or not, right. you know, right. uh, that's, that's, uh, that's great. Let me ask you another sidebar on that. What about this whole concept of continually getting the latest and greatest technology? How do you, do you have to fight that, um, I'm going to call it a virus. Do you have to fight that virus in your home? No, we don't. We're, we're, I, you, full disclosure, my family is, has um, business with YouTube and Facebook and primarily those two. We, that gets a part of our livelihood. So we have some internal uh, understandings of how it works and how it does the things that it does, mm -hmm. which is also a part of like, not like I have the mental health background, but our family business is all in media. So, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like being a drug dealer, you know how, the, <laughs> how the drug dealers, they don't take the drugs. Um, so we're, we're very aware of the power of the algorithms and the ways that they make money mm. and also thankful for them. Yeah. So I, I, both my son and my husband work for media companies and I'm sure my daughter will too. I have a feeling most of us might be at some point. Um, and yet you have to understand that this is not, you are not with a friend who's looking out for your best interest when you are in digital spaces. It is looking out for its best interest. And that is always harmful in every relationship. If you're in relationship with someone who's only looking out for themselves, it's going to harm you. And we need to know that as consumers. Talk to me about the technology and its influence on the way you and your children and your husband and people around you, how they think. Because in the last five, six, seven, eight years, we have experienced something that we have never experienced before, even though I did read an article going back to the third or fourth century where there was actually a propaganda war between the church, the universal church, Catholic church, and opposition to the Catholic Church, we all all know who won that propaganda war, of course, uh, basically saying, look, what you're telling the people isn't right. It's, it's not accurate. And the church said, no, no, this is what we are teaching. This is the doctrine, the dogma, et cetera, et cetera. And as I said, we know who won that war. Well, hey, give me an example of the propaganda. Like, what would, an, what would it be? Well, the, the, with, with the, the virus, the, the pandemic that we've been going through, and I had an interview just recently, matter of fact, uh, the one just before this one, where we were talking about how you can trust the information that's coming at you from so many different sources. How do you know that information is accurate, right. Right. whether it has to do with the vaccines, whether it has to do with the virus, whether it has to do with the number of people who died and how they died and, and who's sick and who isn't sick and who's vulnerable and who's not vulnerable. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. And I'll be honest with you. All I hear, this is, this is all I hear, regardless of who's saying it and what they're saying, all I hear is whining, 
whining, wh complaining, moaning, and groaning about the fact that things aren't the way they want them to be because somebody else did this or that or the other, and then, then they take on the victimhood role. You know, they take on that label. It's like, there are no victims here. You did this to yourself by virtue of the fact of where you live. So what are you going to do about it? But it's the information. Uh, have you had to deal? Well, have you had to yeah, deal with yeah. that kind of? It's huge because the the media, both social media and the mass media, is really dependent on the next best story. And mm -hmm. the next best story is the one that is the most alarming and concerning. And so yeah. it really feeds our fear. And and the more it feeds our fear, the more we stay in tune with that that information so that if it told us I'm unsafe, if I keep watching, then it will tell me I'm safe and then I can go back to my life. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it makes its money off of us feeling unsafe. And, yeah. and yeah. if you are looking at your screen, if you are watching the news, then that's what, you, what and how you will feel. One of the trips that I took when my phone um, was broken was to Chicago. And this was right before the 2016 election, the summer before that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if you remember, but there had been a pretty brutal um, killing of a black man by a police officer. And then right. there had been some retaliation and it was really, really an awe. And of course it was all that pre-political unrest before that election and just Oh, it was so scary. I mean, the feeling every day was just like, oh my gosh, we live in the worst place ever. What well, happened in Chicago? And I was, I was in Chicago that week yeah. where the, the killing happened and then the retaliation mm -hmm. happened. In fact, when we landed, it, I saw it in the uh, hotel room. Right. And here I was in the place where it had happened and I had no phone. I was watching no news or getting no updates on it. And it was an incredibly, I mean, being on the land with the people who were involved, the love and care and kindness that was being expressed um, from cops, from the black community. Um, it was, it was so like, they were treating it like a trauma has just happened to our city and we're going to love on each other and care for each other. And that's what I got to experience there, mm -hmm. not watching it on the news. Mm. And so I came home, my son, who is a journalist major, totally has got to stay up to date on what's the latest, most awful thing that's happened. And he's so tenderhearted and all it was in so much pain all of the time. And I said, we were out on our front porch in Franklin, Tennessee. And I said, okay, I want you to look around where you are and tell me what you see. And he said, I see our neighbors. I see houses. I see kindness. I said, is there anybody that you see that you would not feel safe that you think if something bad happened to you, that they wouldn't help you. And he's like, no, they would. And I said, that's our life. That's your life. Mm. That's reality. You are in a safe place right now. And don't let your phone tell you you're not safe when you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I get bombarded sometimes by people who do follow the social media and the news media, in spite of the irony that I am in broadcasting, I've worked for information, news and information stations most all of my career, uh, with only two exceptions. And, um, uh, and, and it's hard sometimes to uh, shield myself, okay? Because I, I can't really turn it off. I can turn it down. Right, right. But, but here's my perspective, and it, it kind of goes along with yours, and that is, I know... 
that mankind's history is rampant with man's inhumanity to man. All right. I know this. It's not going to change anytime soon. Although, again, I like to be the optimist, glass half full kind of guy. Right. And uh, so I don't need to be inundated by that information because I already know that there are people out there who they that's what they're doing. They're being unkind to their fellow man and woman and child. And I don't need to see the details. Uh, it's like um, someone was killed. All right. Well, someone was killed 5,000 years ago, 500 years ago, 50 years ago. And the only difference between those three stories is the location, the names, the names of the people, the location and the names of the people and how they were killed. But they were still killed brutally. And there are conflicts around the world that have been going on for centuries. And it's the same issue. Uh, you know, it could be for religious reasons, political reasons, ethnic reasons, etc., etc., economic reasons, resource reasons. Doesn't matter what the reason is. The fact is, this is going on. Why do I need to bombard my brain, my senses? One of my chapters in my book, Choices, Seven, Five Steps for Life, you first make a choice. But one of the steps along the way is uh, match your personal input to your choice. My wife, my present wife, went through uh, a diagnosis of cancer, surgery, and chemo. And I asked her bluntly early on, do you want to live or do you want to die? I may not like your choice, but I will respect it and I will support you in it. Thank God she's still alive today, 20 years later, and she had chosen to live. All right. So um, when I put this list together, personal input has to do with the things that you read, the people that you associate with, the programs that you watch, the music that you listen to, and anything that comes in through the five senses. Okay. And then, of course, I would encourage people to spend time going within, okay, to listen to that voice, that divine voice, that still small voice. Uh, so I know this stuff goes on, but why? Why do I need to bombard myself with it? What are your thoughts in that regard? Well, it's, you know, it's really a big conversation because we have come out of a, a time where information was power. Mm -hmm. And so, and bringing awareness to things means that you can bring change to things. Mm -hmm. And I really do believe that. I think that that's true. Unfortunately, the way that we're getting that information and what I, what I tell people all the time is I get the information. I can read a newspaper. I hear the conversations mm -hmm. in my town. Like I do not, there's no big story I ever don't hear because I am not on social media. Right. I get it. I mm -hmm. don't watch the news and I still know what's going on in the world. Um, so trusting, trusting that what, what you need to know, you are going to know, but, um, also this is really, really, really important to me. Um, we all have our own life stories where we're going to have traumatic experiences, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. And, and we will have people who are traumatized in our communities and in our families. And, we need our resources to be able to help ourselves and the people who are in our communities when it is our time. Yes. And what's happening through the media is that everyone is getting traumatized for every incident, which is removing helpers from the story because I can't help you if I'm also traumatized. Yeah. So if I have, I've never watched the George Floyd uh, murder. I ne I've never seen that. Mm -hmm. I never will see it. I don't have to see it to know what happened. 
And because I haven't seen it, I was teaching a class during that time. All of my students had seen it. I had the capacity to hold that space for them because I was not flooded by my own vicarious trauma from having watched it. Mm. I had the capacity to be a helper. So I think this idea that not being informed means putting your head in the sand is really um, counterfeit. It's really um, you, you need to stay healthy mm-hmm. so that when the trauma comes into your circle, mm-hmm. you have the capacity to care for it. And you also need to stay healthy because when the trauma, it's going to be your trauma someday and you don't have any choice in the matter and you need your resources for that. Yeah, that is a very good point. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you made that. And you instill this into your, into your family as well, into your kids or have, uh, into your kids as they have grown up, um, at, I, I've heard some interesting comments about uh, millennials, about the various, and I've never been able to figure that. I mean, I guess I'm a baby boomer on the, on the, on the, I'll call it the near end. The far end is the other end, like the, I don't know, what is it, the 40s or 50s? I don't know. I'm 61, okay? I'm 61. So wherever that puts me on the scale. And uh, then there are all of the other, gen, uh, all of the other generational names, Generation XYZ, Generation Alpha, Alpha Omega, Alpha Romeo, or whatever. And it's like, on the one hand, I hear, for example, from the news media, how narcissistic and self-centered and they don't want to do this and that and the other. And then I actually meet people here in Santa Barbara who are of that age, teens, 20s, 30s, some of the most compassionate, some of the most giving, supportive individuals, and quite honestly, none of that has to do with any of the money that might be flowing through the Santa Barbara area. It has to do with what's flowing through their hearts and their minds. And that, as you just stated very well, that's my reality where I can feel safe knowing that I've got a network. It's seen and unseen where when the trauma does hit, uh, matter of fact, the last fire that my wife and I had to be evacuated from, and it's the only one uh, since we've been here 15 years, where initially we stayed in, I think, what was it, three or four different hotels over the course of five or six, uh, over the course of eight or nine days. And then the last two nights that we, uh, we were in Santa Barbara, um, uh, being, uh, staying away from the home, uh, one of our uh, programmers opened up his home to my wife and I, which was beautiful. Uh, we were so appreciative. And... Um, and they said, obviously, that if, if our home is uh, safe during the next uh, situation, you're certainly welcome to, to stay here if, if you need to. It'll certainly save us a lot of money. But the fact is, this is why I find it so important, uh, uh, Jenny, that we need to not only get off our screens, we need to connect with our communities physically to create those networks, not just for us, but for them too, Right. Yes. It's yeah. critical. And, that, and that's, it's, it is critical. And that's also, it's what heals us. That's what makes us mentally healthy is when we know that we're connected to other humans. Well, the technology <laughs> that we've got, and, and you know, I, I find it interesting that they say that the cell phone has enough power. If we had the right programs, we could uh, launch a rocket to the moon. With this wow. technology alone and not a huge, you've seen NASA in the 60s and 70s with right, those big right. old control rooms and all those computers and all those people. And yet, oh yeah, you can do that here. I mean, I remember. Oh, I want to get, wait, I want to sure. speak back to the, I guess, millennials. And Go ahead. Yes, please. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so of course I think they're the best generation. <laughs> my son is, was born in 1999 and my daughter was in 2001. So they're on, on each side right. of those generations. And just from my extensive study of them and their friends and that age group, um, I, when, when you, when anybody older than them really understands what they have to face and deal with every day, what they've been exposed to, um, the pressures that they live under, uh, most people will say, I would have killed myself if I was in middle school and high school and had to do that. And um, I think that they are incredibly strong, incredibly. They are, they are doing so well for what they're living under. They, they really are in many ways uh, like children of war, but the war has never been acknowledged. Um, they live in it quite um, absent of any kind of adult care or supervision or support. And they are still going to college, um, take, having jobs, um, being a part of really powerful movements that are important to them, um, still dreaming. I, I have the utmost respect for that generation. And I think we owe them a tremendous amount of care. I asked my daughter's best friend, um, I, when I was doing a television interview, I said, what do you, uh, what do you want the public to know? What do you think they know? And she, that they need to know about your age group. And she said, stop judging us and start helping us. Oh man, that's, that's great. That is beautiful. I mean, I, as I said, I'm 61. Um, I've always been thrilled about the fact that I was born in 1960 because it was uh, divisible by five, 10 and two. And it was easy to keep track of how old I was as a kid growing up. Exactly. <laughs> it was always easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and uh, so when I, I saw the calendar and 2020 and I said, wow, I'll be 60. That'll be so cool. Because I kind of epitomize a line from one of my favorite musicians, John Denver, where he says, um, uh, changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. It turns me on to think of growing old. And it did. Uh, it did. It still does. I mean, there are. Mo- I, I do still have now. I still have those moments where I'm going, could I go back to when I was 12, please? You know? <laughs> finish, finish that Laverne and Shirley episode. Eggs, there you go. There you go. Or, or finish watching that Warner Brothers cartoon with Bugs Bunny and uh, Yosemite right. Sam. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, son. And, uh, but it's, it's, um, here I am. We're in the 21st century. We're now, um, some would say this is the first year of the 2020s. I say it's number two, okay? Don't don't argue with me. That's my position, okay? <laughs> and um, uh, I always thought that, oh, yeah, the 2020, 21st century, the Jetsons, flying cars, and and, and, and apartments up on those big spires like the, the, Se- the needle dome, the, 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 the space needle in Seattle and so forth. Nothing. Now, we do have electric cars, and they are starting to work on making them fly, okay? Uh, so we're getting close. Uh, but I've often felt that because we get so distracted, and I think maybe that's the right word to use here. It is the right word. It's yeah. a really good word. To, we get distracted by this device or the Best PC. case scenario, distracted. Yeah. Worst case scenario, harmed. Harmed, yeah. The, uh, but uh, we get distracted from what we really want to do. And I have, this is part of if you will, the the subtitle of this program, Tell Me Your Story. We're looking for those new ways of living. 
And the reason is because the old ways don't work. Just look around you. They aren't working. And the people who are in charge haven't got a clue uh, because they're more interested in themselves. Uh, they're, they're more self-centered than community-centered. And I'm not sitting, I'm not going to sit here and pass judgment per se. All I know is that uh, we have a situation in this country, and I would really love your perspective on this, especially when it comes to this device um, and other issues that we are dealing with in this country uh, that we have been for, for decades, I'm going to say decades, not just years. We have a dichotomy from my observation. Our Constitution, First Amendment, gives us freedom of speech. It says that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want. But there's also in the preamble, and I actually remember the preamble, we the people, in order to form a more perfect government, ensure domestic tranquility, establish justice, I think I've got some reversals there, promote the general welfare, ensure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. It's two lines in there that are seemingly diametrically opposed to the First Amendment. And they are promoting the general welfare and preserving the blessings to our uh, preserving the blessings of liberty to ourselves and your children, our posterity. Mm -hmm. And I find that's really something that we need to come to grips with and start to understand that, uh, for example, when people were talking about the whole the three steps, I, I came up with the slogan, um, "Wash up, max, mask up, step back." Okay during the last year. Wash up, mask up, step back. People will say, well, but you're violating my First Amendment rights. I said, no, you're not. I still have my First Amendment rights. I'm exercising them by trying to help me take care of me and my community by doing those three things. Your thoughts, not specifically on those three steps in the COVID virus and what they told us we had or, or hadn't, uh, could or couldn't do, but more in terms of that, uh, the balancing act between those two elements, those two philosophies. I mean, I, what came to my mind, I don't know if this is what you were asking, but when you were telling that story, I was thinking that I really, I hope with everything in me that there are laws that change and that specifically kids are protected. I'm, I'm very, very angry that more hasn't been done because my my kids didn't get phones until they were in eighth grade. So we're the kind of first generation of iPhone mm -hmm. kids. And I can tell you what what it's done to them, what it's cost them, what they were exposed to. And they didn't get it till eighth grade. So and I really thought, oh, it's not going to take long at all for people to say, well, we've got to figure this out. You know, we've got to take care of this. And now one year olds have their own iPads connected to the internet. And um I'm just horrified. I'm horrified that that the public doesn't know how harmful this can be to yeah. not just yeah. mental health, but also um, developmental health. And so my hope is that we do that some forces outside of us, just like you were talking about with your car, you have to have a license or with alcohol, you have to be 21 years old or whatever. Mm -hmm that there are these things that get put in place to protect specifically children from the digital harms. And it's not happening fast enough. It, it may not even happen in my lifetime. Like it is not happening fast enough. Yeah. So personal responsibility is what I, I feel sad about that because I think 
we shouldn't have to be responsible. Like it's not anybody's fault that they are handed a phone that's addictive with technology that's addictive, that makes money off of harvesting human attention. Um, but we have, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. That's, that's our only option right now. And we have to do whatever we can to, you know, one of the things that I do that is so small, I have to be very comfortable with small things. Mm -hmm. Um, I obviously, I don't have a phone. That's the kind of phone that I would ever have out in public. And I just try to make eye contact with people. And, um, most of the time it's kids and there's nobody making eye contact with them. And so that's, that's my way. That's my small difference I can make in the world is when I'm out in my community, I can be making eye contact and smiling at children that no one is looking at when they're in strollers going down the road. Born legally blind. That was a tough one for me to look people in the eye. When I had my lens implant in, uh, in March of 2000, uh, 2000 of, uh, March of March 6th, 1996, now, I'm a guy who loves patterns, so there's a three, a six, a nine, a six, okay? <laughs> Actually, there's two nines in there. Um, that was one of the things that I was so thrilled about that I could finally really wow. look people in the eye. Richard, okay, I ha- how old were you? I was 36. Okay, what t- I want details of that story. Okay. Legally blind, uh, the vision acuity throughout the first 36 years of my life, my right eye was 2200, meaning I can see at 20 feet what you, with 2020, can see at 200. My left eye was 2400. Didn't really count on it much. Didn't didn't think about it because uh, my right eye was my dominant eye. Um, during my 20s and 30s, I fought the DMV in Phoenix, uh, Arizona to get a driver's license just for a moped. And in 1995, I just gave up. And I said, you know what? If I am bicycling at the age of 65, that's okay. I'll be healthier. Um, there's also buses. I will get rides from people. Uh, I can walk. Oh my God, I can walk. Okay. So I let that go. I let it go. And then that summer of 95, I noticed my vision in my right eye was starting to go because of cataracts. Mm. I had three conditions when I was born. Cataracts, nystagmus, and stigmatism. So uh, my ophthalmologist told me, he says, well, uh, we could, uh, and I couldn't believe he said this. He says, we could wait and see if they break up and uh, dissipate by themselves. And I'm thinking... Uh, they're growing now. What makes you think they're going to dissipate? And I think he was being a little facetious. Uh, but then he says, or we can go in and we can give you a lens implant and you have a 50, 50 chance of losing all of your sight. Wow. I said, then let's do it now because if I have to adjust, I want to start now. And I was actually awake the whole time they were doing the procedure. I could see everything that they were doing. It was wild. Of course, oh my the broadcaster and the talker in me, until I was told to shut up, was giving them... You're the, narrating it. Yeah, yeah. Well, not exactly. I was actually saying, you know, I tell you what, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, holidays coming up and everything. Uh, let me give you my recipe for my blue cheese hamburger. And That's course, what I made for dinner last night. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, because of my mouth was moving, the eye wasn't being perfectly still. So they said, Richard, we need you to stop talking, which is what I did. So anyway, 
I had the lens implant, and I was actually able to see that afternoon where my first wife and I were walking to the McDonald's just down the street from where we lived in Phoenix. Okay, so you get you could just walk out. You didn't have to like recover. You were walking. You you're oh, yeah. outside. You walk to McDonald's. Yep. And I was disappointed by the way the trees looked. Huh. Because before they were kind of bushy and very shady and everything, and now they've got definition with the leaves. But the big thing was when we went into the McDonald's for the first time, I was actually able to read that particular menu in that restaurant from the other side of the counter. I could not do that before. I will tell you as a sidebar that I, my, my wife at that time, who I'm no longer married to, made a statement that really took me back. I, I was shocked that she even stated it. Now, she was totally blind. She had, uh, she had guide dogs uh, throughout our marriage, and she said, I hope that I get to benefit from your new sight, from your re newly uh, acquired sight. And I'm thinking, well, what makes you think you wouldn't? You know, I, I, it's like, we're a couple. How, how would you not? Why would that even have to be stated? Well, obviously, now we're divorced and she doesn't. But, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other story for another, for another therapist program. <laughs> uh, but I was able to get a driver's license in Phoenix going through what they call the medical review program. I had 2080 without corrective lenses, 2050 with, and basically mm -hmm. what I'm wearing now. And then when I moved to California, went through the same process with my ophthalmologist, 2080, 2050 with, and I've been keeping my right eye in check with the drops to make sure that glaucoma does not set in. And so far, I've been very, very fortunate. Wow. Uh, and I actually was in awe when we moved and drove for 12 hours from Phoenix to Santa Barbara. We were going through L.A. that evening. It was the 8th of May, 20, 2006. And I didn't even realize it. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm looking around. I'm, wow. I'm actually driving through L.A. traffic. My wife was in the Subaru pulling a small U-Haul trailer. I was driving in a rental van with the two of the dogs and some other stuff that we took with us. There I am driving through L.A. traffic. Are you kidding? Wow. And I really do try to keep that in mind, even when I get on the 101 here in Santa Barbara, and I remind myself, do you realize wow. that 30 years ago you couldn't do this? Oh, Richard, that's incredible. So, and that, I mean, how, how amazing. And that goes back to just the... The eye contact, what I was saying, yeah. that yeah. It, 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 eye contact really heals us. Mm -hmm. And for you to get to realize it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, and one we just miss out on. I know. I don't always, I'm not always able to tell the eye color, but at least I'm able to focus on the right. eyes, right. you know. Right. Uh, without uh, and continuing to blink without staring, you know, freaking them out. <laughs> I sometimes but, do that too. But it's it's just amazing. And um, I even when I was a kid growing up, I reached the point where I was actually able to say that uh, my blindness it was not a limitation. It was not a disability. It was a perceived limitation. Wow. The biggest uh, fear I had getting into radio was queuing up black vinyl records. That was my yeah. biggest fear. Yeah. I learned how to pull an album from the record rack 
to the turntable and cue up the song, because usually after a while you know exactly which track from that album, that artist, in like five to seven seconds. And um, I even had some people who wanted to pray for me for my healing, to restore my sight. And of course, restoring the sight meant it would go back to 2200 and so forth. And I said, no, thank you. I can't stop you from praying for me. But my perspective was then, this was then, not now. My perspective then was my purpose in life, my reason for being here on earth is not to get my vision back. It is to serve you, to give you the best quality production values that I can so that whatever your message is, and this includes you too, Jenny. Whatever your message is, people need to be able to understand it clearly and succinctly with no distractions so they can decide whether or not they want to follow up or maybe they agree with some of it. They don't agree with others, but at least they heard it all. So, um, you know. Like I said, uh, then in 96, boom, and there you go. And then we moved here, and I've been here for 15 years. I don't know what's next. I'm excited about the prospects. As I said, I'm, I'm an optimist. And uh, to me, the prospects for this program, Tell Me Your Story, are that we are coming to the end here. And I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. This has been, uh, this has been a thrill for me. I've been very excited about this conversation, and I know that... Uh, you know, we've got a long way to go, I know, but if we have opened, e opened up even one set of eyes or ears uh, to, to take in this information and start to put it into practice, then they will take it to someone else. And it's that, that drop in the still water and the ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. And before I let you go, I do have three final questions that I ask all of my guests. Before I ask you those three questions, however, I need to address you, the listener and the viewer, and remind you that we're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. Don't forget about the Wednesday 9 a.m. special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We hope that you will join us for that one as well. Podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio. Amazon Music, and bunches of other places, uh, too numerous to mention. And as of this particular broadcast, podcast, videocast, we're at 38, almost 39,000 listens on SoundCloud, and that's going back to January 2018. As I've said before, uh, Jenny, I have no idea what that number means. All I know is I like it. It works for me. And I have 29, soon hopefully to be 30 subscribers on YouTube where you can also watch these interviews. We have a channel called Tell Me Your Story. What else? And um, we hope that you will spend some time during the decade of perfect vision spending time sitting quietly, even if you just take five minutes. That's, that's all you have to start with. Five minutes. Go ahead and set the alarm on your, on your technology. <laughs> Uh, maybe play a little soft music from Spotify or something and just close your eyes, be at peace, listen to that still small voice 
and then come out of that and then hit your day having some fun and enjoying the life that, uh, that you have. And if you enjoy the programs we're bringing to you and they resonate with you and you'd like to support us financially, we would great, gratefully appreciate any support you could give us financially. That's why we have a PayPal as well as Patreon account. PayPal, all you have to do is put in the email address richard at richarddugan.com and that is how you can uh, donate, support us. We are not nonprofit. Don't get me in trouble with the IRS. I did that 20 years ago. I don't want to do it again, <laughs> not because of the nonprofit, but because I had my own business, Jenny. And uh, I didn't realize that when it was all over and I filed my taxes with the section uh, form C and all of that other stuff, right, right. I owed them three grand. So I said, <laughs> I'm not going to get in trouble. So we're not nonprofit. So um, whatever you contribute is gratefully appreciated. So now, Let's jump into those three final questions that I ask all of my guests. And again, thank you so much for giving us so much time. Number one, who is Jenny Black? <laughs> wow. I get that reaction a lot. <laughs> wow. Who is Jenny Black? Hmm. I think that... I really have a lot of love in me and I think that I don't know where it came from, but it feels pretty endless and infinite. And I sometimes feel like I don't, I have too much love for how many people are in my life or maybe even on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I really, really, really care about people healing and not suffering. Like that's, that's what I do in my office with my clients and with my family. Um, and what I'm really hoping to do with our culture and with this book and with this message. What is it that you hope to, or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Um, I would like the average person, I'd like every household to be having a conversation about this. Um, and for the average person to stop thinking that something's wrong with them and start asking the question, what's wrong, that there's something wrong. It's kind of like the Aaron Brockovich when everyone in the town has this same illness, there's something in the water. It's, there's not something wrong with those individuals. And I would like us to start having conversations about what collectively is wrong instead of the right now, it feels like there's a lot of focus on I'm, I'm. I have anxiety, I'm depressed, I have suicidal thoughts, and I would like that conversation to shift. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To love. To love and be loved. Well, Jenny, That's Bla I'm here. Jenny Black, I want to thank you again and remind people of the website, which is mediatrauma.com. The book is called Inner Technology, How to Be Human in a digital world. And uh, maybe one of these days we'll talk a little more about the whole transhuman thing and see where that goes. Um, but I'll tell I prefer you, being human with you, Richard. I'm, I like I, I'm with you there. Um, I am also grateful for those people who have had the opportunity when they have lost uh, uh, various uh, limbs right. or organs and so right. forth, that there are replacements so that they can Absolutely. continue to function. That's exciting. Um, but I'm with you. I, I would rather stay human and live out my life as it was designed to live out. And I'm hoping I outlive my great-grandmother who lived to be 100. 
So I still yeah. have another lifetime to go, Jenny. You so sure do. We may do this again very soon, I hope, or, or maybe when I'm in my 70s or my 80s or 90s, you know. I may even, I may even have to outlive my dad because he's only got 10 years to go to, uh, <laughs> to 100. But I thank you again for joining us here on the program, and I it really do appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. I really am so thankful to have met you, and I'm happy you're out there in Santa Barbara with my daughter. That's where she lives. Well, wonderful. Well, maybe we'll get her in here, too. You'll, and- you'll run into each other and... You'll get to experience the goodness. Well, as they say, this is a small fishing village, and you end up running into pretty much everybody eventually. (laughs) I'll tell her to look out for you. Absolutely. Just look for the guy with the hat. (laughs) And I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.